good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you guys today. And if you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to get there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 13, we are in a series uh, called um, Flannelgraph Jesus, which basically we're looking at 12 of the 40 parables that Jesus taught uh, over the course of this summer. We're in this series. If you want to follow along on the back side of your bulletin, there's some blanks you can follow along with. Uh, today's message is going to be very simple, but the parable is very simple. But don't um, think that simplicity is uh, meaningless or insignificant. Don't, don't think for a second that just because a parable that Jesus taught contained two verses that's very simple, that it's insignificant. I think quite the opposite. And I'm going to just kind of dig and mine out a few truths from this passage and uh, it's not going to seem like rocket science to you, or maybe not, but it's something that I think if you will download into your life and you will kind of marinate on it, you'll see the truth of what he was trying to communicate to the disciples. So simplicity is not necessarily insignificant. I think it's quite to the contrary. And uh, as we kind of began today, let me ask you, how many of you guys like process? You like things to just try to go, almost drag out. You like process. Raise your hand. You're a process person. Okay, a couple of people in the room. Okay, how many people, you like it instant? You like microwave, right? Pop it in. I want it my way right away now, kind of like Burger King. Those are my, that's my tribe right there. Those are my people. About uh, two years ago, um, Tammy and I bought a house and... Uh, we have, this is the third house that we've owned in our marriage. The first two homes were new homes. So we were the only people that ever lived in them. God had kind of blessed us that way. And we had to pick out a lot of things in the house and that kind of a deal. And so I had this bright idea that, you know what, let's get an existing home because the new homes on the market, it's kind of a limited deal. There's really nothing that we liked. And there was this existing house that had what you call great bones. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just, you like it. And we were kind of in that mode. We, we're, we subscribed to a magazine called Cottage Living. And it's just kind of, you know, kind of cute and quaint and nice and this whole deal. And Kevin Nash, who is a phenomenal real estate agent, uh, sold us our house. Matter of fact, before Kevin ever started coming to Life Church, Kevin and I were starting talking about homes. And, and I just knew he knew the market, knew whatever. And he had this house. And he wouldn't show me this house because he kept saying, you, this house isn't going to meet some of these years. I said, just show me the house, Kevin. I've seen the pictures online. So he shows me the house. And I think 10 days on the market, I uh, just went on the market. Uh, we bought it. We sold our house in 13 days. And boom, within 60 days, we were in this house, right? So when we did the deal too, where me, I'm always, you got to understand two things about me. Number one, I hate process. I'll look at the picture and I'll put it together, right? And, 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 and I am, there is not a handy bone in my body. One house, our first house that we, that, that we, we lived in, Tammy was, Tammy was kind of complaining about a leaky kitchen faucet, right? It's kitchen sink. And it had just a one-arm controller, you know, hot, cold, low, high, whatever. And I'm thinking, how hard can this be? Just need something to tighten it up. Somebody says something about a washer or something needs to be fixed. And we, it was an open concept house. So it had these huge vaulted ceilings. And the, the, the countertop area went right into the living room and just was all right here. So we're getting ready to go on vacation. I thought, you know what? I can knock this thing out. This is how, like, unhandyman I am. So I go to take off the deal never turning off the water. <laughs> and about that time, pfft, that controller knocked to the ceiling. Water was going everywhere. And I'm like, oh, and I'm putting my hand on it, the other hand on it. And I'm just thinking, Jesus, take the wheel. What do I do? Where's the water main? I'm thinking the water main is outside. 
because you don't have basements in the South. It's all slab on grade. So it's outside. I'm thinking, how do I run out there? And then I think, no, 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 no. There's a controller under the sink, right? So then I go, okay, I'm going to let go. So I let go to go down. I go, no, I can't do that. So then I try to do it. But I mean, it just, water was everywhere, everywhere. So from that day forward, I made a deal with my wife that I would never try to do anything that was handy around the house. (laughs) Doorknobs, I know you think that's crazy, but if you've been around me, um, I once tried to take the, the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the power cord off the back of the dryer because it needed a different one and didn't unplug it from the wall. I just, I know, crazy. It arced, I was like, whoa, I need to leave that alone. Okay. So we buy this house with good bones, right? And we liked the house, but there was just some cosmetic things, well, quite a few cosmetic, that we wanted to change. And so within, within the time of buying it, we, we get it. And there's two ways of doing this. One, you go get a loan from the bank, get a line of credit, home equity loan, whatever you need to do. Because you don't really want to mess with some long-term savings that you have. And then, or two, you just do it as you go along. So we decide, you know what, we're going to go through the process. And we're just going to do it as the cash becomes available. So in this journey that we've been in for two years, uh, Tammy and I were having a conversation yesterday because I'm in the master bath where there's holes in the wall because we've put off the master bathroom because nobody sees it and uses it but us, right? And a bathtub that we do not use, so it's got clothes and all kinds of stuff and everything. It's just very functional in our world. But, I mean, we've gone through to paint. Uh, we bought the, the, the house in the summertime, so we didn't check the fireplace, so in the wintertime, it was actually colder with the fireplace on because of the flu. It was sucking all the hot air out of the house up to the chase. So we decided we need a new fireplace, and not just a new fireplace, like a full stone all the way to the... Anyhow, it's a process. And the process sometimes takes longer than what you think, and it's frustrating along the way. And there's been many times I've told Tammy, I just want to sell this house. I'm going to call Kevin Nash... Little does she know that I've called Kevin Nash and said, could we just, and could we buy, and honey, let's go look at, and so we're still in the house. And we're going through this whole process. And this is kind of the way Jesus describes this parable, the mustard seed, that there is a process. God's got a process. Again, don't confuse small or uh, 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 simple with insignificance. Matthew chapter 13 Verse 31 and 32, here's what Jesus says. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Verse 32. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch on its branches. Now, mustard seed. This illustration is all about size and not about substance. This illustration that Jesus uses, this parable, this story with meaning, it's all about size and not about substance. And I want to make sure that you understand this. This was a a phrase that was used to describe something that was small or something that's insignificant. Uh, It's kind of how we would say, that's as big as the state of Texas, as big as Texas. We're not really saying that it's actually literally the exact same size and square footage as the state of Texas. We're just saying it's very large. Uh, it's as quiet as a mouse. We're not actually saying that they're a mouse. We're saying that it's quiet, right? That's as sweet as pie. We're not actually saying that it has the exact same texture and taste as pie. We're just saying that something's sweet. So large or quiet or sweet. 
in this day and age when the Bible was being written, this was a, this was a very well-known phrase. It, it's mustard seed small. It's very small. It's very insignificant. It's not a big deal. It's just a small detail. It's not a big thing. And so Jesus takes this mustard seed analogy, this, this uh, metaphor of the first century, and he uses it to illustrate a point. And how he illustrates the point is very important that you catch before what you understand what he says. Because there's only two times where this mustard seed illustration is used in Scripture. And Jesus uses it both times. Okay? And first he uses it to describe the kingdom, which describes the culture of God. It's in your notes. The first place he uses it is to describe the kingdom, which is the culture of God. That's what we're talking. He says the kingdom of God is likened unto a mustard seed. Uh, uh, I think it's in the book of Mark when this, this um, parable is being told about from Mark's perspective. Because you understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were four people that followed Jesus. And these gospels are their perspective. It, it's it's kind of like the movie Vantage Point. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a different perspective to the same story. So it gives you some depth. It gives you some context. And based upon their backgrounds and their personalities and their dispositions and their, their kind of their worldview, it kind of gives you a perspective into how it is. And so Mark says, Jesus says this, what shall I compare the kingdom to? Ah, a mustard seed. So he's looking for something to compare it to. So we understand that the first use of this is when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he describes the culture of the kingdom as being small. Now let me explain this to you too and give you a little bit more background before we go to the next blank. You have to understand in the first century what's going on in their minds. They have heard about the Messiah, all the Messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the first Messianic prophecy of the Old Testament all the way through Malachi. From Malachi to Matthew, that is called, the theologians call that the 400 silent years. It was 400 years that God did not speak. There was no prophet. There was no man of God. There was no really formidable nation of Israel. Now, so we go from Malachi and we fast forward and we realize that that we find in Matthew chapter 1 that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the people of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the house of David, the lineage of Joseph, we know that these people who did great things in the Old Testament are under the rule and the reign of the Roman Empire, which was the greatest empire known to man. But they had been at this place once before and God brought them out. A, remember back, all the way back to Moses in Egypt? Western civilization tells us that Egypt was the greatest, power, most powerful entity nation on the planet at that time. But yet God, through his sovereign power, takes them from the hand of Egypt and restores them to the promised land that he promised all the way back in the book of Genesis to, to, to Abraham. Okay? So they've seen this before and they've heard these stories before. And, and, and the Israeli people are very hardy people. They're very, even to today, you, you, you see it. And, and can I just, a parenthetical thought, don't believe everything that you hear in the news and the media. That's, I know we say this, but I had a conversation with my kids the other day and I thought, this is so true. In the digital age that we live in, I was raised and we were all raised that you don't believe everything that you read. But it's amazing how if it's, on, if it's on my iPad or if it's on my, on my iPhone or if it's on the screen on my computer, it must be truth. And one of our daughters came in and had this statement. I was like, where did you get that? Well, it said it here online. Well, just because it's online doesn't mean it's truth. Anybody with a computer, anybody that has access to a computer can blog or put anything that they want to. And the day and age in which we live in, we just kind of download that as truth, and it's not. And so 
you've got to understand that's the whole context of these people. That's their background. It's, 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 um, it's a characteristic that God embedded into the nation of Israel. So when they have heard about the Messiah is going to be the one that will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. The Messiah will be the one that will set the people free. The Messiah will be the one that will lead the people from captivity, a.k.a. Moses in, in Egypt, and to freedom. So they've been oppressed by the Roman government in the first century. So when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, this is the first time there's been a prophet of God. There's been a voice of God that God has spoken in 400 years. And everything he says is completely confirmed by, by the Old Testament prophets and by the priests and the kings of the Old Testament. Everything that he says is completely aligned. That's, reason what, that's what's so, so messed up the, the religious leaders of the day is because they could not refute him. He answered everything according to text. And confirmed every single one. That's the reason why they couldn't do away with them. That's the reason why they had to use the Roman government to help them in their plot. And because they were scared they were going to lose their power. And they just couldn't get their minds around it. But every time the word kingdom was used, they're not thinking kingdom the way we think. We think kingdom, a.k.a. heaven. We think kingdom the way God does things. We think kingdom, and we don't really use that word. But you have to understand, this was political to them. This was a political underpinning to them. This was... This man is going to release us from the rule of Rome. This man will lead us out of the oppression of the Roman government the same way that Moses did with the Egyptian government. So when he says kingdom, their eyes perk up, their ears perk up. They're like, this is why we're here. And if you want to know why the disciples are all arguing about where they're going to sit, because they want to know what they're going to be in this new government. They want to know, are they going to be like Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament? Are they going to be the one? When he dies, who will lead the way Joshua led after Moses? See, that's the whole context of their mindset. So when he says kingdom, they're thinking political. They're thinking Rome will go down. They're thinking down with Caesar. He's going to overthrow the government. And they have heard story after story after story of what God has done in the Old Testament all the way back to Abraham. It's all been passed down. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, to teach and train your children to talk about these precepts, to talk about these things. This was a way of culture. This is how they passed it down, not only in written tradition, which would be with the scribes to write with the Torah, but also with oral tradition that the parents could tell their kids these stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Daniel and the lion's den. And, and all of these stories go down. And so it's made this hearty, powerful people, and they're ready. They're ready to take their place. They think he's talking about political overthrow. So the kingdom describes the culture of God, but faith is the second time that this is used, that this mustard seed illustration is used. It describes the language of God. Faith describes the language of God. What do you mean by that? Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, again, it's the comparison, the only time that it's compared this way. With a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be moved from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. So if the kingdom describes the culture of God, when he uses the word kingdom, and faith describes the language of God, let me help you to understand this. And this is something that just honestly, maybe you get this real simple. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. This was like a, just a, a, an illumination and insight this past week as I was studying for this message. To understand one is to understand the other. If you understand one, you understand the other. If I understand the kingdom of God, I begin to understand the language of God. If I understand the kingdom of God and the culture of God, I can understand the culture of God. If I understand the, 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 the language of God, I can understand the culture. 
Let me give you an example. Just because I speak Spanish does not mean I can go to Mexico City and really understand what's being said. I understand the language, but I don't understand the culture. But if I can understand the language and I can have time in the culture, I will understand and put it all together. Because if I get the language, it will allow me the entrance to get into the culture. Make sense? If I don't know anything about the language, but I know the culture, I'm submersed in the culture, you give me enough time there and I will begin to speak the language. Why? Because it's the culture. This is what Jesus is saying. If you will spend enough time in the kingdom, if you will spend enough time in the culture of God, you'll begin to speak the language of God, which is faith. You know the reason why you don't believe? Because you don't spend enough time in the culture. You don't spend enough time understanding the things of God and in the presence of God and the transformative power of God's word. And the more time that you spend in the presence and the more time you spend in his word and the more time you spend with his people, the more time you will begin to, faith will begin to come out of your mouth because to understand the culture of God is to speak the language of God. Mm, I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Just download this. And even though I don't understand the culture, all of God's ways and how he does things in this upside down kingdom, if I speak the language of God, if I trust God enough to begin to speak in faith, what is that? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm speaking things that are not as though they are. If I begin to speak in faith, and I'm not talking pie in the sky, willy-nilly, crazy things, that's built on man. But what I speak is based upon God and his word. And I began to speak those things that are not as though they are. I will begin to understand and learn the culture of God. If I speak over my children, these, these, my two daughters, Anna and Ava, they're going to be great women of God. They're going to do the work of God. Whatever God has for them to do, they're going to marry men of God. And I began to pray that over their life every day. And I began to speak that over their life. And, and as they come to me, as they grow older, as I practice Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And I teach and I train them. That when the time that they come to leave, guess what will happen? I will see the culture of God begin to develop in their life. Why? Because I planted those seeds of faith all along. Even if I don't understand the culture, I can begin to understand the culture because I speak the language. Does it make sense? I'm telling you, that's what he's trying to communicate. More than anything else, it's that culture and that truth. There's only two places that he uses this, this metaphor, this analogy of mustard seed. And it's with faith and it's with kingdom. And they're both one and the same. And to get one means you get the other. So if you want to want to understand the ways of God, begin to speak the language of God. You want to understand the, 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 the language of God, begin to practice the culture of God. Start with one and you'll begin, it'll, it'll naturally take you to the other. So that's what he says here. Now, the essence of this parable, basically three words that I'm just going to pull out. Again, don't take, don't take simple for insignificant. The first word is small. He's using this mustard seed because of its size, because of the fact that it's small, because it seems insignificant. But can I tell you, all throughout Scripture, God delights in taking small things and making them great. God delights, and many times in Scripture, he will reduce things down before he does the miracle signs and wonders. Many times he will take people from a high point and bring them to a low point in order to just explode them to a, to a new level. Sometimes he will take the armies of Israel like he did with Gideon and he will reduce them from thousands down to hundreds and then help that hundred win the war. Many times he will, he will do things uh, as we see in, in miracles that Jesus did in, in the New Testament. We see like when Jairus' daughter, when he goes in and there are so many people that are unbelieving and Jesus pushes all of them out except for the parents the disciples that he brought with him and himself. Why? Because he wanted the place to be filled with faith. But he reduces the number in order to do this miracle and raises her from the dead. I mean, you see it all over the time in Scripture. Now, what do we do as Christ followers 
many times when things go from big to small or when we begin with small. We overlook it. We become frustrated. Why? Because we don't understand the culture of God. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's kingdom is bigger than our, our thing. And so many times God, he, he delights. Zechariah chapter four, verse 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God delights in small beginnings. Why? I ultimately think the Bible says that God's a jealous God. And because God's a jealous God, when he begins with the small things, takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, what happens is that he gets all the credit. Let me give you an example of this. Life Church. Let's just talk about the church for a minute. This is something that we all know that we all can, can, can identify with. If you would have told me that we would be running close to 1,000 people on any given weekend in 17,000 square foot storefront, I would have said, there is no stinking way. And here's the reason why. This is a story that was communicated to me a couple weeks ago, and, uh, which, and I think it illustrates it incredibly. Is that there was a couple who they were, um, saw the church, moved to the community, was looking, well, they were looking for a home church, go to the website, check the website out, and the website uh, you know, looked sharp, and they agreed with everything, and it was just all kind of cool, and it was kind of similar to the church that they came from and that they'd moved here from. And so they um, decided that they're going to go to church at Life Church on a weekend. So they pick a Saturday night service because it works with their schedule. So they show up at Saturday night, and when they get here, they sit on the parking lot, and they have this conversation. This is it? I mean, all the windows are blacked out. It looks the same way as all the other buildings here. It doesn't look, it's not a large building. There's nothing about the external that makes it look inviting. They've got a couple of signs up. Are we really going to go in here? What goes on on the other side of that? I mean, what if these people are weird? What if they handle snakes and they drink Kool-Aid? What, what about that? Some of you may be a guest for the first time, and you might have been like, did he have a microphone in the car in the parking lot? Did he figure this out? And so the spouse says to the other spouse, listen, we're here. Why don't we just go in? We'll all stick together. <laughs> if it's weird, we'll leave. And if it's just not what we thought it was, then we will just, we're done with the service, we'll leave when it's over, and we'll never come back. But we're already here. And so let's just try it. It's kind of like a dare, isn't it? Like you're going to jump off this cliff. Let's, we're here. Let's just bungee jump. I know, maybe break our necks, but let's just... I mean, it just is like... And I wonder how many people have that conversation. I wonder really how many people have that conversation and they never make it inside the building. So they decide to come in. And when they come in, they're totally delighted by what they find, which is a pretty common thing that we hear. Man, the inside is totally different than the outside. And uh, so they come in, and it's like, man, people are inviting, and it's friendly, and it's, you know, it's, it, it, the, the technology's cool, and the worship is cutting edge, and, and everything is relaxed, and the, and the message is relevant, and the preacher is good looking, and, and I love his accent, it's so intelligent, and, you know, it just goes on and on, and the kids' ministry, and, and and this couple said, we decided sitting in that service on that Saturday night that this is where we're going to go to church. And I've heard that story over and over and over. You know one of the reasons why I think God has us here right now in this building? Because I can't tell you how many people told me this will never work. 
I can't tell, tell you how many pastors in this area that I met with that said, it will never work. You will never grow a church like the style that you want to do. This is too progressive for Wisconsin. People aren't going to buy into it. It's too radical. It's too cutting edge. You're in a storefront. Nobody's ever going to do that. People don't do that here. You need to go back to the south where you came from. Serious. One guy told me, I actually lost my appetite one time. And that's a big thing for me. I know saying ain't so, baby, but it was. But I found it, amen. So the deal is, is that I think God said, so many people said this can't happen. And God goes, I'm gonna take the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. I'm gonna put a redneck kid from the Hicks and the Sticks in Arkansas, and I'm gonna drop him into, into, into southeastern Wisconsin. I, I, I'm gonna take the place where they are and I'm going to just utilize the facilities and give them the wisdom on how to lay that place out. I'm going to bring people from all across the country that are going to come and be staff on this church at the right time. And I'm going to lead hundreds and even thousands of people to a faith in me because of what they're going to do. And we sit here today. It's summertime. I mean, you look around, and we have another service at 11 o'clock, probably this weekend, with the weather being what it is, will be larger than this service. And it's just like, boom. And, and, and the reality is, it's because God says, don't despise small beginnings. And you may be looking and going, but this is such a small starting point. I, I thought when I graduated from college, I was going to be, and I thought it would be bigger than, and I thought this would work different than, and I thought my house would be different than, and I thought this would be, and I thought it would grow faster. And I thought, and I, listen, don't despise small beginnings. Did God call you? Did God equip you? Did God direct you? Then just keep walking out. Just become, don't become weary and well-doing. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, for in due season, if you don't quit, you know sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just keep on keeping on? The most godly, profound thing you can do is not act like you're excited, not all be all crazy excited, but just keep on keeping on, just one foot in front of the other, just get up tomorrow, do what you've been called to do and do it, but it doesn't feel like it's happening. It feels like things are reducing. Sometimes God does that. He reduces things down before he explodes it. Why? Because then you understand and he understands that he gets all the credit and all the glory. All those conversations with all those people telling me that it couldn't be done and looking at statistical analysis and looking at things and looking at the fact that some leading Christian magazine said that, that the growth potential in Wisconsin was a big fat zero that get out of Dodge is what they were saying did nothing more than put something inside of me to say, but God can and God will. And I know this is what he's called me to do. And there were failed attempts on trying to buy property. And there were days I'd sit in the parking lot and go, God, this is your problem. This is your issue. There are times when I'd preach my guts out. I'll never forget when we went to two services. Three weeks in, there were more people with the band and me on the platform than there were in the sanctuary. There were like eight people in, in the seats. And I had to preach a full message. So I just like dim the lights and I hear I'm gonna go. You know, I don't wanna see their faces. That's just, why? Because God says, if you'll be faithful with the little things, I'll make you ruler over much. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the culture of God. This is the language of God. Do not despise small beginnings. Watch out when your phrases become, this is dinky. This is teeny tiny. This is small. This is insignificant. I'll never forget a pastor in the area I was in an event, and he came over to my table. And they had seated me and my wife at the back of the room, this back table. 
and uh, didn't know anybody in the place, were new here. And he walked over and proceeded to tell me of all the great things and grand things he was doing and went on and on and on. And I remember thinking, God, I mean, I'm so far behind. How do I, not that I want to move up in that room, but, and I remember every time the Lord saying, I've called you here. I brought you here for a plan and for a purpose. If you'll just be faithful and just be fruitful, I'll bring the increase. And then I fast forward that button to today and go, wow, wow. That guy doesn't even passion this area anymore. Wow. Everything he said he was going to do, none of that came to fruition. And yet I just tried to walk humble before God, love justice and do mercy, love mercy and do justly before the eyes of God, the prayer of Isaiah. Don't despise small beginnings. The next word he says is that it will begin to grow. That mustard seed, though it's small, it will begin to grow. It'll begin to develop. Again, this is the ways of God. Now think about it from a physical standpoint. If you're healthy, you grow. And then at a certain point, when you quit growing physically, you begin to reproduce. And it's true in our lives spiritually and anything else that's healthy. If something is healthy, it will grow. And at a certain point, it will begin to multiply. It will grow and then it will multiply. It will grow and then it will multiply. This is the way that God set it up. I don't care if you're talking about agriculture, if you're talking about people, if you're talking about spirituality, if you're talking about mental capability, relationships, whatever. It begins to grow, then it multiplies. Grow and then multiply. And Jesus understood this. And again, he's setting all this in agricultural background of saying, take this insignificant small seed and plant it into good soil. We talked about that last weekend. And then it will begin to grow. It will begin to develop. It will begin to grow. And the question you have to ask yourself is, am I growing? As a Christ follower, am I growing? If you're not a Christ follower, how's life going? How's it going? Because if it's going from bad to worse and you're not a Christ follower, you're, you're not living under the, the law of the kingdom. You're not living under the freedom of the kingdom. And so it's going from bad to worse because God's trying to get you to a point to get your attention to come to the end of yourself. So don't think it's going to get better. That only works when you're in the kingdom. And, and, but, but, but the reality is, 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 are you growing? Are you moving forward? What, what do you mean by that, Aaron? Do you have greater faith and greater trust in God this year than you did last year? Do you have more stories and more testimonies to tell your kids and to tell your friends and your coworkers about what God's done in your life this year than you did last year? Is, is there less sin in your life and there's more purity, that progressive sanctification that goes on? Is that happening in your life? Or are you becoming more like Jesus and less like you? Is, is, is the, the, the battle that we all face uh, between flesh and between spirit, is the spirit man winning and the flesh man reducing? You see, those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes, this is the reason why someone can be saved for five years and someone can be saved for 20 years. And the person that's, been, that's been, had a relationship with Jesus Christ for five years can be further along than the person that's, that's been in a relationship for 20 years. Because the 20-year person went about one to two years into their walk with God and then they just stopped growing. They just put this lid on there. They just got comfortable. And they know how to raise their hands and how to talk. And hey, brother, God bless you, brother. Good to see you, brother. Let's pray for you. Hallelujah. They know how to do that. They know all the right things to say and do. They know when to bow and when to, when. They get it, stand, sit, the whole deal. They know the whole regiment, but they quit growing. They quit growing. And, 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 but the person that's been saved for five years, they just continue to go. And here's the biggest thing, is when your past is greater than your future, you're dead. When the stories of what God has done is greater than what God is doing, you're dead. 
when, when, when all you're doing is, I remember back when, well, don't you remember, brother, when? What about today? What edge and ledge are you living on today? What, 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 what mountain are you ascending today? Oh, but I'm old, brother. No, you're not. It's a lie of the devil. If you're still kicking and breathing, there's a reason why you're on this planet. And when God gets done with you, he will take you home. But until then, are you still believing? Are you still growing? Are you still developing? Are you still pushing forward? What time and talent and treasure are you leveraging for the kingdom? Well, I'm building my family. Really? Well, I'm building this. Really? And there's nothing wrong with building your family. There's nothing wrong with building your business. There's nothing wrong with building your relationships. But at the end of the day, you better make sure that you're storing up treasure in heaven. You better make sure that you're growing, that you're developing. Your kids need to see the hand and the work of God. Your kids need to understand what God's doing. They need to hear the stories. They need to see the signs. They need to see what God's doing in your life. And they need to hear it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you take them back to a full loop of here's the problem, here's what God's word says, here's what God did, and we see the answer. Boom. It's like with Anna. Uh, she's going on her first missions trip this summer. And so one of the things I love about the mission trip experience, whether they're in, in middle school or in high school, is that we allow them to send out letters, not to anybody in the congregation because we're not trying to nickel and dime everybody, but to people and just pray over those letters and believe that God's going to help them raise the money. And what happens is, is when the money comes in, all of a sudden they go, boom. And I can't tell you how many kids go right to that point, especially when I was a youth pastor. Well, I just can't go. Why? Because of money. Well, why don't you just trust God? Well, my parents just said that's not a smart thing to do. My parents just said, well, and I, I'm a parent. Earlier this year, if I can just be honest with you, she got in the truck one day, I'm taking her to school, and she tells me that she's gonna, she wants in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, six weeks, she wants to raise $175 for Speak the Light. And that before I could, get, I could put it back in my mouth, I said, What? Where are you going to get that money? That's just being a parent. That's how we are. But we have to stop and think. And she looked at me like, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you supposed to be excited that I'm doing this for mission? And I said, I mean all that to say that you're going to have to come up with this. <laughs> Listen, just rebound, people. Just rebound. Work with it. And she did. And it was a testimony. And I was even invited to speak at a place uh, at the beginning of the year uh, with about 600 students. And I brought her with me because they had heard her story and they wanted to hear her story. And she got to tell her story. And I said, see, Anna, see how God's working in your life? You felt like God wanted you to do this. You, I told you you're going to be on your lonesome on this one. And God provided. And it wasn't easy. You had to make some sacrifices. You had to sell the DS. And, but at the end of the day, God showed up. And when he showed up, you have a story to tell. That's how the kingdom of God works. I'm telling you, if your kids aren't living those kinds of stories, if they're not seeing that, they'll never know to trust God. They'll never be that experience to get God. And then they grow up and they just think that all God is, that he's dead, that he's not alive because they can't see him. They can't feel him. They can't experience him. That's the reason why I get your kids on a mission trip this summer. I'm telling you, I, I beg you and I plead with you, get them on a mission trip this summer. I have seen more suburban kids get changed and transformed because they went on a mission trip. Tyler Herring, who graduated CBC this, this spring, was a kid that was in the seventh grade that went to the inner city with me. And from that point, God called him into ministry as a seventh grade kid. And he's preparing now because he wants to spend his, the entire rest of his life in Africa. His dad's an oil executive in Tulsa. And just God has radically shifted and changed him. And all he wants to do is give his life 
to the country of Africa, to the children of that city. And he says, he'll tell me, Aaron, it all goes back to that time you took us to St. Louis. When I saw kids that lived the way they were living in the inner city, when I saw kids that were running around half naked, and I saw houses with no front doors, and I thought, this is six hours from where I live, it changed me. It's that growth. And if you don't have that as a person, if you don't have that with your kids, if you don't have that, it's, that's the way of the kingdom. And you go, but that's tough. Yeah, but it's not easy. Yeah, that's the reason why the Bible says that narrow is the road and rough that it is. It's not because we're holding out the fourth. We're the, we're the, the moral major, minority here and we're gonna hold on till Jesus comes. No, it's because we're living the gospel and the gospel requires everything of us. The gospel requires that we lay down every single thing and palms up, we follow God. And if that means our house, if that means our finances, if it means our businesses, if it means our jobs, if it means our children, we live like palms up. God, we understand that everything comes from you and everything goes to you and we will leverage everything Everything in our life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Mm, I preach and the last word he uses is great. This small and significant seed begins to grow, and when it grows, it does a great thing. It produces this great tree. You have to understand the thing about a tree. Throughout Scripture, the tree is a sign of prosperity. And I don't mean like name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I mean like prosperity, not just financially prospering, but, 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 but your family, your health, your, your mental. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is a sign of what God will do. Health and greatness and wholeness that this tree will develop. That's what the tree is. Anytime you see a tree in Scripture, it's a sign of life. Even when they said Jesus was nailed to the tree, it's the sign of life. In Psalms, it says it's like a tree planted by a water that will not be moved. It's a sign of life. Anytime that you go to find refuge under the tree, it's a sign of life. And a dead tree is a sign of death. But a tree that's producing is a sign of life. And he says, listen, if you will do this, you'll be like this tree. You'll be prosperous. You'll be healthy. You'll be great. You'll be whole. And the tree in this, in this, in this par- parable... It doesn't just bless itself, but it also blesses others, the birds that come and find rest and find refuge and find a place. Because when God takes you where he wants to take you, even though it begins small, but if you will trust him and you'll begin to grow, what will happen is that he will take you to a great place. He will do exceedingly and immeasurably above all you can think or ask. See, God is not in the business of taking things from you. We're somewhat like a toddler and he's like a parent, and we just think it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And, and I want more and more and more, and I'm going to fight everybody for the goldfish and the Kool-Aid, right? But God says, no, 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 no. I want you to trust me. And the only way you're going to trust me is to go on this journey with me. The only way you're going to understand me is to live with me. Well, what did Jesus do for three years? He developed relationship with 12 men. That's the power of relationship. He didn't teach them religious discourse. He didn't teach them to memorize this, that, and that, and the other. He taught them something that they could only get, which is through relationship. It all happens through relationships. That's why we do life groups, through relationships. That's why we try to be friendly, because relationship. That's the, that's the whole connecting factor. See, that's what God wants to do for you. Remember scriptures like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus my Lord, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that he that's began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. I know you know it, but do you believe it? And do you believe it in your own life? But I, 
I'm going through a divorce. Maybe you're going through a time of reduction. My business, it just, that's not, anything's clicking. I just don't know what's going on. I, 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 I feel like I can't get motivated. I feel like I just don't have enough oomph, enough energy. I'm just kind of going through one of those dry seasons at times. Things are just not working right. Or the, the, I, I've got a child that's just going way off in left field and it's just really taking, the business, uh, my relationship with Christ is dry. I just don't feel anything when I come. Do you believe what God's word says? Because you have to understand, as much as there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says. We talked about this last weekend, where the, where the enemy wants to come in and kill and steal and destroy. That's his objective. And do anything he can to knock against this language of God and this culture of God. But if you don't despise small beginnings, and if you allow God to grow and work in you, he will do great things in you. Exceedingly and abundantly above all you can think or ask. How can you be so sure? Because his word says it. How do you live that every day? You speak in faith. Again, to understand the culture of God is to speak the language of God. And to speak the language of God is to understand the culture of God. And there are times, listen, <laughs> there are times in my life as a pastor, I think sometimes there's this misnomer that because I'm a pastor that I'm always on the mountaintop. That I'm always, I'm ready to attack. And that's not the case. There are days I don't want to preach. There are times I just don't feel anything. There are moments I'm in service and I feel nothing in the worship. I feel nothing when I preach and people come back and that's awesome. Man, it was a great job. Oh my goodness, this happened. This person got saved. It's amazing to me the times that I feel like I do the worst, the most number of people get saved on that weekend. And I think it's because God says, hey Cole, this isn't you, this is me. And when you're at your worst, I'm at my best. And the days that you feel like you knocked the cover off the stinking ball and it was out of the park home run is the days that people just kind of go, eh, because that's all about you. The days I walk into, my, into, the, into the house after church on Sunday, I go, who is the best preacher in the world that you know, girl? <laughs> Talking to my wife, and she says, one less than you're thinking. <laughs> but can I tell you, God wants to do great things. Even in this church, there are thousands of people yet to hear the gospel message, and God wants to use you and me to help them connect with him. There's coming a day where there won't be two poles in the sanctuary. There's coming a day where it's all paid for. Last weekend, look at that $711,000. It felt like a bowl of pasta. Oh, we've eaten a lot, but there's still a lot left. There's coming a day where that will be zero. There's coming a day where people won't pull on the parking lot and go, do we go in, do we not go in? There's coming a day where we'll hear stories of people and teenagers and marriages and individuals and families that will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of what we're doing. That's not me. That's us. And I sit around, I look at all the young couples, and I just think, man, what plans God has for you. I mean, I went to the graduation party last night for Jordan Enfield, and I'll never forget my first experience. I have to tell this of Jordan, my first weekend here. Big Apple Bagel was right now. Everything's food in my world. Big Apple Bagel was right here now in the corner, and Jordan is munching down on this big ham, uh, uh, bacon. I don't remember. It was just, I was so good, and I was thinking, I am so hungry right now. Jordan, can I have a bite of that? And he's this little kid, and he's just smiling, and he's like, no. And I thought, oh, 
And I'm at his graduation party. I mean, how fast things happen, how quickly it goes by. You see these young teenagers, and they're growing up, and they're doing great things for God. I see these young families, and they're having kids. I think, man, what greatness is there? I see people starting businesses, and I just think, 10, 15, 20 years from now, these people will own this city. They will run this city. They will, they, and God will do immeasurably above all they could think of ask. I see these Bible college students, and they're all passionate for things of God. And I think, what great youth groups, and what great missions organizations, and what great children's ministries, and what great pastors will they make? Wow! If we don't despise, if we allow God to grow, if we begin to speak the language of God and understand the culture of God, God will do great things in our midst. Do you believe that? Father, I thank you for your word.